HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Culture and Flavor is a podcast about food and culture centered in Black and Indigenous food ways. Hosted by myself, Zella Palmer, right here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Each episode features high vibrational conversations with cultural bearers, chefs, farmers, scholars, barbecue pitmasters, and more. Where there is flavor, there is history. Join me on Culture and Flavor and all of my guests as we share stories that will have you praise dancing, cooking, conjuring, and inspiring your culinary journey. Hey, y'all, welcome to Culture and Flavor with your host, Zella Palmer. I am so excited today to be in conversation with a dear friend, an incredible content strategist named Ma'at Zachary, who is um, just an amazing, amazing content producer. She has done so much work with brand names like Chevy, Buick, Cadillac, MasterCard, Walmart, Prudential, And she also was the producer of Chef Robley's reality show, and she has done brand content for Wells Fargo. And most recently, she's working on a project that we worked on together for the HBCU Tailgate Throwdown. Welcome, Ma'ad. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm so happy to get into this conversation. I'm so happy to be here, Zella. Hey. (laughs) Hey, girl, I'm so glad to be in conversation with you and just to catch up on all the things that you're doing. But I want to back it up just to the beginning so our listeners can learn more about you. I mean, once once I met you, I just, you know, you were such a light Um and I was just so impressed with just your aura and who you are as a person. And I'm just so excited to be in conversation. We're going to talk all things production, your, just your life journey, how you went from chemical engineering to a content producer, um, and how we ended up in Morocco this past Thanksgiving. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So tell me about your journey and how you went from chemical, from beginning, I'm sorry, mechanical engineer to Mm -hmm. uh, where you are today. Oh, I love this this question all the time because it's very interesting. Uh, It's how life is for me. Um, Nothing is really traditional or conventional about my journey. 
Um, I started out, um, I'm a Detroit native, first of all. Uh, so I love to tell people I'm Detroit bred and New York led. I've been in New York for oh. 20 years in production. Yes. Um, it's been a really fun journey. Um, I'm a bit of a tale of two cities, if you will, and really two countries. What people know about me is that I am um, an award-winning choreographer, an award-winning producer, um, content creator, and director. I've actually toured in Canada and Europe and lived in Canada. And so a lot of my journey started off as a, as a baby girl, right, in Detroit. Um, mm -hmm. And I always knew that I wanted to, you know, pursue a, a, a career in arts. Um, but I was also very much um, a scientist, if you will, which is how I became an engineer. I was an engineer with General Motors for several years before um, leaving and pursuing a career as a dancer choreographer in Canada and then eventually made my way to New York doing that. Um, and one interesting thing about that journey for me is that, um, like most people are when you're young, right? You, there's so many things you want to do. Um, mm -hmm. and trying to, 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 to land the plane early on, you know, and, and just understanding all your superpowers, all your gifts and, you know, mm -hmm. which one should I, which one should I do? Uh, which one should take me where? And one thing I like to say to, to, uh, the, the millennials and the Gen Zers coming up now, you know, do what your heart says, do what your passion yeah. point is, you know what I mean? Don't wait. Um, and so for me, um, I, I had so many desires. I wanted to be a pilot, to be honest with you, Zella. I wanted oh, to fly wow. planes. <laughs> yes. I love uh, when it. When I was in high school. <laughs> That's really what I wanted to do. Um, uh, because I was always, uh, uh, you know, mechanical in that way. So I, I, I went to Tuskegee University. I'm an HBCU alumna. Um, oh, and right. um, Yes. And I uh, graduated from Tuskegee. And uh, I took my, uh, my skill sets there. I went from Anheuser-Busch to General Motors, I built manufacturing processes, I was doing a sim production assembly, I was doing OSHA regulations and ushering those mm -hmm. into, um, at a time when those were very new to the US. And all mm -hmm. at the same time, I was very much still the artist inside of me, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I decided before I got too far into that career, because that was a good six years in, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, ooh, I can mm -hmm. see myself settling. Um, and uh, I said, I could see myself not taking the chance and not taking the risk and really pursuing mm -hmm. what I wanted. And I decided to uh, take a leave of absence, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I left and I moved to Toronto, Canada, and I literally pursued my career as a dancer, singer, choreographer. And that just wasn't out of the blue, just so you know, okay? I, I, was already, mm -hmm. I came up as a child. I was a child dancer, pro, you know, choreographer. I was choreographed. Um, one of my first instructions and one of my first professional celebrity choreography jobs, I love to say, but she wasn't a celebrity yet, was for Aaliyah. Wow. She lived in Detroit. Yeah. That's I taught so crazy. I have an Aaliyah story topic. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Mm. And um, that, mm. that started my journey. And so I spent like um, about four and a half years in in Toronto touring um, with a play called The Kink in My Hair, which was a, uh, a play that started, um, it was basically their version of On Broadway in Canada. And then we, uh, mm -hmm. we transferred and we toured Europe several times. I choreographed, I, part I, uh, I was actually an actor in it as well. Um, I actually mm -hmm. won a Dora Award for it. 
And then I said, and then I did a little work up there with like Soul Food and all these other shows. And I started doing commercials and got like my first big gigs because at that time, Toronto was like the Hollywood North. That's what it was dubbed. Um, Many productions were being done up there. There were so many tax breaks and tax incentives for productions to come there. And um, you always want to like get your feet wet somewhere, you know, where you can get some credibility before you just take on New York. And then um, after about three and a half, four years, you know, I got my my SAG and my AFTRA and then my AFTRA um, memberships. And I said, I'm ready. And I came to New York and um, started doing the same thing here. One thing I noticed, though, on that ride, that there was still this um, this kind of engineer mindset that I had and also saw that after being an engineer, um, having a career in corporate and having a steady paycheck that made a difference and it meant something to me, right? Versus jumping out into the world and um, really understanding just the quality of life, but also just how to, you know, financial literacy and sustainability. And all of those mm. things made a difference when I moved to New York, because New York is really a, a different animal. Um, if you've been here, if you spent some time here, it is it is really something different, right? But mm. I, I was able to to bring those, um, as I say, all of these skill sets together, right? Because when I was actually acting and dancing and choreographing and even came to New York to do the same thing, um, I was also able to understand all of my other superpowers, right? As, as, mm-hmm. as the engineer. And it gave me just a really unique perspective, right, on the world of creative content, on the world of creating um, that mm-hmm. most people don't really get, right? Because one part of it for me is like left brain, right brain. I know how to create, right. I know how to produce, um, but I also know how to connect through people, through movement, through storytelling. And it's, it kind of highlighted for me my empathic journey. You know, it was like the perfect storm and the, and the, and the perfect perspective for me to come together and create value uh, in, the crea- in the content creation space, um, but also meaningfulness. So, you know, what we do now and what we should be doing is be uh, doing things that have meaning for you and that can affect change. And that was kind of the perspective I was able to bring to, to this content space. Um, and I want to close the loop on that too for you, Zella, right quick. The idea of being a uh, engineer turned artist, performing artist, I knew and I saw then that even the artists then were getting behind the camera, right? Denzel mm. Washington was getting behind the camera. Um, uh, Regina King was getting behind the camera to direct and produce because that's when you can control the narrative. Right? right. That's when you can actually have a better uh, control of a narrative, and also just um, really you, you have better control of your of your destiny in that way. And I saw that early, and I said, "Oh, I, you know what? I, I think producing is producing and directing is also something I can get into um, because being in front of the camera left a world where people could tell you yay or nay, and right. you had a lot of rejection. You know what I mean? And I wanted a better control mm-hmm. of that, and then con- control the story. So. That helped me to 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 make a decision on becoming a producer, and I started producing when I was in Canada. And by the time I I got here to back to the states, that was just something that would work for me, and it gave me an understanding of just like the art of production, the power of movement, mm-hmm. and the craft of storytelling. 
Mm. And I see that, you know, you're moving towards more online media productions. You know, I just I just want you to talk a little bit about, you know, the current status of media production and just where you see the future and where you see also black women, you know, coming in or BIPOC women coming in and really making their mark. Mm, I love that question. So media is becoming um it's becoming wide open and and um and less of a monopoly but more of an opportunity for everyone. Content creation is, right? We're in a space mm-hmm. where um technology has allowed for the playing field to be leveled down to where that conversation or this content used to be controlled by a by a, a one small hand of people at that time, let's just call it um, media publishers and agencies. Now people have literally taken that word air quote agency and made taken their own agency for their work, their narrative. And this is why we're kind of into that name, image and likeness um, policy that's now been clear for so many people. And I think that the, just like, it's interesting, just like um, narration and, and I was going to mention this because this made me think about the work we did in Black Food Ways, right? And how those things mm-hmm. have become open. And there's been a resurgence of that because I think it's really important for us to kind of think of the idea of, you know, just personal preservation and cultural preservation. And there is a a a, a importance in that, right, from the Black women in filmmaking now. There's a huge resurgence. You can see it with the Lacey Dukes of the world. Um, that are the new generation that have been ushering in from our original ladies um, who opened the doors from us for Mara Barack Appeal and all, all of our others who have just been telling mm-hmm. stories, um, you know, for us. But I think it's a part of just a rich and diverse culture and heritage of, that we are now telling these stories in our voice and in our way and really telling it in a way that only we can. Previously, right. people would, you know, um, think they knew us, mm-hmm. right? Think they mm-hmm. knew so much about us. And um, we've now have an opportunity to to take what is considered to be a, a monolithic viewpoint on us and give you the complexities and the layers of us, which are also very beautiful. And I think Black women specifically in this space have an opportunity to to blow out the pipeline, if you will, you know what I mean? Um, and mm. really tell the stories that matter from several different lenses, several mm-hmm. different points of view. And it really, it doesn't really matter if you, uh, what, you know, if it's in a cookie cutter point of view anymore, that's not even important anymore. It's, it's what's good, what matters mm-hmm. to you. And you'll find your market, you'll find your audience, you'll find your tribe, um, you'll find mm-hmm. that niche market who supports you. And really, if we're really talking about truly storytelling, um, in, in a way that, that has a very nuanced perspective from the Black perspective. Our story is everyone's story. Yeah, it's an American story. Everyone's story. It's an American story. It's mm-hmm. going to touch everyone from every different aspect. And, and, and if we're really talking about it, and if you really want to elevate, it's going to become a human story, then it's going to become a consciousness mm-hmm. story. You know, Ooh, and then that part. it's going to matter then. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, that part. I just love hearing um, that you are a former dancer. I was a former dancer. I used to study at Alvin Ailey and went to performing arts high school. So that just makes me happy. Um, and I wonder if you know uh, a mutual, uh, I don't know if you know him, but he was, you know, used to, I went to high school with him, Larry Sims. He's now like this amazing hairstylist to the stars, but he used to dance back up from Missy Elliott back in the day. And we went to high school. Mm. But but, you know, just seeing and then, I, you know, and then I lived in Toronto as well. And a shout out to U of T. Um, so it's just it's just the synchronicity is so beautiful. And, you know, we you and I could literally talk for hours and I know we don't have hours, yes. but I want to keep it moving. And I want to just ask you a question about um, you being a creative and, you know, and your engineer back, your engineering background, your science background, your dancing background, Detroit, Toronto, New York. How do you tell the story of food? Ooh, the story of food. So deep, right? And so many, it's, it's so high level and, and deep at the same time. I, well, first thing I just, I'd like to say about food, um, and I think the resurgence of, of Black food, um, culinary cuisine, um, for me, is really interesting. Food in, its, in and of itself, just like any storytelling approach, is a character, first and foremost. And um, how I look at how I tell stories around food kind of centers in what's with, with everything else that I do. What is the meaning of it, right? What's the purpose of it? How do we connect to it? And why is it important to our particular story? I'm into story-driven content that has meaning, that's authentic, that can, that can um, be evocative, if you will, right? If I get somebody's ear, someone's time, if it's for six seconds, if it's for two minutes or for whatever, it needs to be doing a job or serving a purpose for someone being kind enough to give me their time to watch that content, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so... When I think about just like food stories, you know, and the importance of them, one for me is cultural preservation, right? How are we telling these stories, our stories that are rich and diverse in heritage, rich and diverse in our culture? Um, Also, just uh, the recognition and the visibility of it, being able to tell stories um, that have been excluded from mainstream narratives, if you will, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Including these stories in a way that we're recognizing um, the importance of this contribution, contribution from black chefs, from farmers, even from food producers, right? Um, right. Challenging the stereotypes, right? Telling stories that mm-hmm. challenge the stereotypes and the assumptions about, about black food. We've heard this, the trope all the time about people eating fried chicken or watermelon, you know, that's been played to nauseam. And it's limiting mm-hmm. and it's inaccurate, you know? So. I think sharing diverse and complex food, complex food stories is an opportunity just to challenge and promote the nuances of our culture. Um, mm. You know, also the economic empowerment behind it, right? Um, the food mm-hmm. industry is a significant contributor to the economy. And by telling black food stories, we support and promote black owned businesses, you know, in the food industry. We're able to create economic empowerment and opportunities for Black entrepreneurs and Black communities. Um, there's a new restaurant here uh, in New York called Haven Mar. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I've um, heard of it, and I've, I want to meet the executive chef. I mean, she seems like she's doing incredible work. 
incredible, really incredible work. It's really beautiful. And what I love about the space itself is that um, Marcus Samuelson opened, opened this, this particular location and the design of it had, was designed in a way where the kitchen is open. Um, he's used this, mm-hmm. the same approach with another design, but it's it's designed where you can see into the kitchen and everyone in the kitchen are Black women or Black folks, but mm. led by Black women. And then you get this amazing cuisine, different mm. varieties of food, not just your normal, oh, we know we eat you know, soul food. It's just a variety of, of, of palates, well done. And when you're, you're eating and you and the experience of being there and you look up and you look in the back and you say, oh, wait a minute, this is a female executive chef. Um, the women back here are, are, are leading in the space um, on, on the, you know, in the kitchen, designing this food because it's so beautifully prepared. And I think those are the spaces where there just wasn't an opportunity to 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 give people to give women of color and give folks the opportunity to do that. The same thing when we did our tailgate throwdown. You know, um, yeah. the the producers there. She was like, you know, this is historical, right? This is unheard of. To it have, is. It uh, was all so black led production. Yeah, she said this is unheard of. They would never give you the opportunity to do that. You know, yeah. you'd never get an opportunity to do that. And that's something that. You know, it. She opened my eyes to that, I'm, and I'm thinking. You know, I make. I am a media executive. I run a custom content studio for multicultural content. So this is what I do every mm-hmm. day, and it's not. It's 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 um not lost on me. But at that moment, it was lost on me that from a from a foodway perspective, this was huge. This was an anomaly, right? right? To have a black woman led production in the food space done so beautifully, right? With leads who have been in food production for a very long time. Because once you get in food production, it's kind of hard to get out because it's a very specially niched market that um, that is valued. And to be able to tell that story, and I thought about it and I said, oh, well, I didn't realize um, how, how rare it was because everything I do every day is for the culture. It's mm. for the evolution and the, the, the elevation, the evolution, um, the education of what we do in, mm. in, in the best mm. sense of the word and in the highest form of excellence possible, right? Because there's a, there's a future where they're trying to erase our history. And it's important for us to be storytellers and griots of holding and, and retaining that information. My eye just dropped the mic. I just want y'all to know that. <laughs> but, but I want to I want to come back for a word from our sponsors, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Chef Robley. We're going to talk about Morocco and a little bit more about HBCU Tailgate Throwdown. So, after we come back from these advertisements, please join us again. Coming this spring, we're working on something big for opening soon. Opening a restaurant can sometimes take months or even years. So I have this one consulting client that's been three months away from opening for the past year. And I had a calendar reminder show up today, and the reminder was that our goal was to open tomorrow. But this spring, you'll be able to hear it in just a few hours. On March 30th, he had passed away, and then on March 31st, he had come back to life. And then on April 2nd, he had passed away again. And I was like, okay, my regards to the family. I don't even know how to receive this information. So tune in as we follow one of Brooklyn's best and brightest young chefs and restaurateurs on their journey from start to open doors. Alex, you need to put more money in. 
We're out. We can't pay anybody. He is the bra worst. Oh my God, <laughs> that guy. It's the build. Subscribe to Opening Soon from Heritage Radio Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. Back to our conversation. I really, you know, since you graduated from Tuskegee, I mean, Tuskegee is is such, you know, for those who don't know and aren't familiar with historically black colleges and university, Tuskegee University is a powerhouse university. Uh, Booker T. Washington, you know, ha- led the helm and George Washington Carver, um, even my great grandfather. I'm proud to say, you know, I'm the third generation to work at HBCU. My great grandfather, Dr. Joseph Ward, ran the first um you know, Veterans Hospital during segregation at Tuskegee University. So I'm very proud of that legacy. And I've been to Tuskegee many times. And to hear that Ma'at is a graduate of Tuskegee and she, you know, was the lead producer on this HBCU tailgate throwdown. And she, I can't wait to see the results after it's edited and, you know, out there. What was the concept about, just for those who don't know, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the that you know, your ideas and how you and your team created HBCU Tailgate Throwdown. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, so, so first of all, congratulations just on being a third generation um, HBCU um, life, right? Keeping your legacy yes. going in that way of being, um, for, for being, uh, having a career there and actually elevating the culture in that way continuously. Um, that's so beautiful to be able to, to be able Thank to say you. that, to know your history in such a way. Um, tailgate Throwdown, you. you're welcome. Tailgate Throwdown um, was a concept that we created coming out of the pandemic, right? Or during the pandemic when, at the height of it really, when um, we knew that HBCU students and the world had stopped and um, HBCU, HBCU students specifically were missing the opportunity to, to have that experience of attending an HBCU, having homecoming as a part of their um, inaugural year into, the, into, um, their, into their school and their college years. And so we created something called One Yard, right, which was a mm-hmm. platform, a digital platform designed to bring all of HBCU together on one platform so that they can celebrate and have um, you know, a, a digital space to to celebrate from every angle, be it on the yard, be it in the business school, uh, be it on, on the field, and um, be it in the library, just to have the HBCU experience. So we made a virtual homecoming uh, de- de- destination. And so one of those mm-hmm. ideas that we, we had created was called Tailgate Throwdown. And it was grounded in the concept of um, a... Let what what's hot in my at my school or in my school's um, city, and what type of food mm-hmm. do we eat? Right, celebrating regionally what was uh, specific to your HBCU. Uh, like one of the jokes we made when we were actually ideating about it was at Tuskegee. Um, I had never had fried gizzards until I went to the Nitty Mart. Right. <laughs> um, after one good night party and I'm eating gizzards from the Girl, gizzards are fr- fire. Fried gizzards. Yes. What? Come on now. Fire. <laughs> right. So my Detroit self was like, gizzards? Fried gizzards? Okay. Right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it hit the spot. It was amazing. Right. So we had these running jokes about each city, you know, North Carolina, they were known from their barbecue. And we were like, yeah, mm-hmm. what would, how great would it be just to represent your yard? Right. Mm. And your region. And that's how we got to the concept of let's create it like a tailgate throwdown, like 
um, you know, what what does a tailgate look like at said school? And um, mm. that's that's where we started, right? So we would put together like a competition show that was some of the top like uh, chefs. Some would be emerging. I would I would use that word instead, emerging chefs that may not have been big yet, but they're on the rise. And they um, mm-hmm. we bring together like their styles and their favorite foods and what was traditionally like their signature dishes. Um, and that's how we started off with the idea. Yeah, let's just go, you know, rep your region, rep your yard in the food space and we we got to tailgate throwdown and then um we did our first year of it and we were like how could we even grow it bigger and better right and we mm-hmm. said let's actually grow it out a little bit larger right and start doing um elevating the actual competition and making it a true competition with really established chefs and cooks and um, we were able to do that with this round when we were able to join with you and then we said well let's blow out the actual judges you know what I mean Mm. like who are actually Mm. doing the work in the space and recognize in the space of black food ways um and just kind of just make it bigger and better and that's kind of how we got to this to the to our particular um season two edition with you joining us right um, and it's so thanks fun to Chef El Simone. If I just want to say that, I just yes, want to say I thanks to Chef El Simone. <laughs> <laughs> so and 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 El Simone is amazing. Um, you know, this is our our connector, right? Our um, our person yes. who brought us together, and um, I've met her from years ago, and uh, I I called her up. She was actually one of the first people I called up, and I said, "Oh, you must be a part of this." You know what I mean? And um, mm-hmm. from that, she says, "Count me in, <laughs> count me in." And I, Elle, I started with L years, you know, years ago, way back in my chef play days, and um, mm-hmm. and now what is it, eight, ten, uh, mm, several years later? <laughs> I'll say that mm-hmm. maybe ten years later, and she's doing beautifully um, in her career as well. And it's just it's great to see her star rise. And um, that's kind of how we got to to this new concept. And then the other part of it that really changed it for me, Zella, is that I said, let me go and get women who actually know um, food production, who've worked on Chopped, who's worked on the Bobby Flays, who've actually been in the space of production with the higher end production, um, food productions. And we were we were able to yeah. go get Joelle and Khadija, right? Um, Joelle Dusek and Khadija Rivera, they have been specializing in the food market and the food production um, for over 10 years. And bringing them in just really elevated our approach to it. And it really changed um, what we did from season one to season two for Tailgate Throwdown. Amazing. I love Joelle and Khadija. And it was such a pleasure to work with them. And I'm just, you know, so excited for this to come out. And, you know, just because, you know, it, it's so Still today, you know, there's always this debate and conversation about HBCUs, you know, the important the importance of HBCUs and why we should keep the legacy, you know, going, you know, ahead. And are they still um, valid or worthy in this in this day and age? And yes, absolutely. And I think um, people have, unfortunately, because, um, you know, a lot of people don't know, know the history of HBCUs and don't know um, just how diverse HBCUs are as well um, and how we are really a community. You know, I think mm-hmm. each HBCU has, is a community. And um, then we never forget your name. You know, we never forget your name. So I um, 
I want to talk a little bit about Chef Roble, you know, because I remember just, you know, his show and I didn't even know that you were part of it, but his show really, you know, was a beacon of hope for, I think, a lot of people in the, in the food industry coming in, you know, because we had never seen anybody like him on television. And I would love for you just to talk about, you know, what, 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 what motivated you to work with him and what, um, you know, some of the bylines and some of the behind the scenes of why his show was so important, because I do believe that it'll go down in history as one of the most transformational um, cooking television programs that we've ever had that showed a young black man in the 20, was that 21st century or 20th century? In the end of the, was Mm -hmm. it 20? When did it come out? The end of the 20th century, right? Yeah, we, we, right, right. Well, actually, Rob Blake dropped ooh, like 2020, 2010, 2011. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I, what I loved about Chef Rob Blake, and um, at, the, at this time, because this was when I was in the reality TV genre, and um, and we've seen that reality TV is can be a, a blessing or a curse, right? It, it started off doing one thing and it could really represent something in another direction that, you know, that wasn't necessarily forward thinking or healthy, the healthiest type of content. And at that time, I was really happy to see Roblay's show come up and be a participant on it. On it. We were up, I think, from 20, late 2010 to 2011, 13, but I think mm-hmm. we did three seasons, so 2013. And I think it was one of the few reality shows that, you know, prominently featured a Black chef as the main character, right? Uh, and yeah. that was significant because it provided representation and visibility for black chefs, chefs, you know, in a field that was, again, traditionally dominated by um, our white counterparts. And mm-hmm. now we talk about, you know, controlling the narrative or being able to be a brand influencer or, you know, having our other shows then. But that was really cutting edge for him. And I think what what stood out is that Roble's um, skills and his creativity, you know, um, it just really challenged the stereotypes in a way that that made him just successful and highlighted the diversity of talent in the culinary world at that time. I think um, secondarily, um, it also offered an approach to behind the scenes look at like the yeah. high pressure world of catering and event planning that um, that he was leading with himself, with his sister, uh, Jazz, with um, uh, his event planner, um, uh, it's right here. I see his face. Um, I remember all planner. of this. Yeah. Um, what, uh, Archie, uh, I can't call his name right now, but yeah. yeah. Him and just, he just gave viewers a glimpse into the hard work and the dedication that goes into putting together a large scale event. And it provided Absolutely. insights into like the business side of the culinary industry. And I think mm-hmm. um, finally, really, it was important because it helped to popularize, popular, popularize the idea of fusion cuisine, because that's what he yes. did, right? Uh, so he did like blends of different culinary traditions and flavors that created like the new and the exciting dishes. So it was just mm-hmm. a unique approach to cuisine. And it really showed, you know, how he was able to promote a more open and creative approach to cooking and dining. And color didn't really matter at that time, you know what I mean? But the representation yeah. did at the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. It was such a fun show. And, you know, it, I mean, it was just, you know, 
I just remember just watching it and just saying, wow, you know, this, this show is amazing. I mean, the food mm-hmm. just, you know, and I'm sure I, I can just imagine you behind the camera, just getting that tight shot and just, you know, the, oh my goodness. whatever it was. <laughs> and, you know, and he was always fresh to death. And I was just like, wow, you know, this is amazing to see. I was mesmerized, you know, it was going really from Julia hilarious. Child to that. Yeah, <laughs> it was really like really cool and hilariously fun to make, but it was really challenging. Don't, don't get me wrong. The process of of creating content is challenging, but, um, just Roble brought like the swag, right. It's kind of like watching like Alan, Alan Iverson changed the game of, you know, basketball, how he came in with longer shorts and that whole game. He came in with his own swag, how, what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. He knew who he was. He knew what he didn't want to do. And he started to really understand, you know, the value of your, um, you know, the, the value of your brand before yeah. branding was a was a thing. You know what I mean? And yeah. then it just became fun. We had our, our, our dedicated like um, cooking kitchen that we would work out of in Brooklyn. And, you know, um, you know, we we really went to like picking Roble up from the house, you know picking up jazz like even when they moved to the city I was a part of like all of that that portions of it and one of the mm-hmm. highlights I always remember I think it was our final episode wrap out when we had um John Legend and Christy Teigen and that was wow. our very last episode and we were time to wrap out it was the longest shoot ever so I love how we were like <laughs> Come on now. This is the end of the season. Let's wrap this out. You know, we were ready. I'm going to have to look at an old episode of that because I, I don't remember that one. I'm like, oh, wow, John Legend, what did he sing? Like, I'm trying to remember if I remember that oh episode. Oh, my God. No. It was, they closed out. We, we actually shot it. The event was produced in like one of the most difficult locations in the city as far as getting to and just to put on a production. And it was like on the water, the West Side Highway of New York. And so when we were ready to pop out, in my mind, I was like, okay. That's a wrap. That's a wrap on Roble. I'm thinking it's over. And we're going to just like, everyone say hooray. We can do some champagne toast or whatever. I look up. Roble came running through there, girl. They had the biggest food fight of life. (laughs) (laughs) As I'm trying to wrap out. (laughs) Oh, no. What fun. I know you were like, oh, no. Oh, my God. (laughs) We were all in. Christy and Tegan was in the job legend. They were just food everywhere, stuff on the wall. Wow. Yeah. It, it was a good time, oh, though. It really that. was a good time. It really was. Aww. And, you know, and I know... Um, healing. You know, I want to talk a little... I want to shift the conversation a little bit to how we ended up in Morocco. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you are such a grounded person. I mean, I knew that the moment that I met you, I said, this woman is grounded, you know, and I just felt like such a light aura around you. Um, and I was just so, I felt so safe around you. And, you know, I just mm. knew that you were the type of person that, you know, was a serious creative, dedicated, but you're also, I'm sure you know, are highly respected in your industry, but also I'm sure you make people bring out the best in people. And I remember, um, I just mentioned it. I think I just mentioned it to you or something like that, or you found, I don't know how you found out about it, but you know, I have, um, 
you know, we as creatives, you know, and we do have 5 million projects, we're doing so much, you know, juggling, if you have children, you're, you know, juggling their schedules, you know, maybe you have, you know, other like aging parents or, you know, whatever you have going on. I just knew that we needed time to heal. And especially after the pandemic, because we've kind of been forced to just get back to life as normal. And I, you know, I, I, I had a, I struggled with that, you know, cause I lost my dad in 2021 and it was really hard mm. for me, you know? Mm. And so I, um, through a mutual friend, I met, uh, Tanisha Barnes, uh, and she just, is this, you know, travel guru, just amazing woman who has really, you know, done a lot of work to, um, you know, heal our community and take them abroad um, and do retreats. And, you know, she's telling me, Zella, you know, I think you can be a retreat leader. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't know if people are going to sign up and, you know, bring, come with me to Morocco. And she's like, Zella, stop it you know, let, let's just do this and, and just trust me. I'm like, okay. So, you know, we curated a trip to, for Thanksgiving last year. Um, and, you know, I just put it out on the internet and I just said, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm taking people to Morocco to just, you know, heal and be with, be one with, you know, the Sahara desert and, you know, and, and just be in community with each other and watch the, you know, be under the stars and just, um, ride camels and eat amazing food. And, you know, we'll see what happens, you know? So I was really intentional about that trip and you, you know, just out the blue were like, I'm going with you. And I was just like, this is my dog. This is my G. <laughs> I know I'm going to be friends with her for a life. I already know Yes, this. <laughs> That was just about accurate. It's so divine. It was just kismet, as people would say. Um, and I, I, I want to say first, just in, in, in just listening to that and our talks while we were there in a way, um, just, just to heal, to your point. Um, it's so important to be obedient, right? To be obedient right. to the call. And I just want to give such gratitude and thanks to you um, for being obedient in that way and listening to yourself intuitively, right? That's, yes, that's powerful. You. To trust in yourself and, and trusting what you hear. And, and you too you. are that beacon of light, right? Um, it's, you are so vibrant, which is why I'm so glad oh, Tanisha was you. like, girl, come on, do this. You can do this. <laughs> Come on I now. Think, you know, you're a Leo. I'm a Leo. Tanisha's <laughs> yes. a Leo, you know, and I feel like, you know, Tanisha is the one, you know, with the sword that's like, no, we're doing this. <laughs> she is. She's amazing. <laughs> She's amazing. But I want us to talk a little bit about, you know, what we did and, you know, the lessons that we learned and, you know, you, you know, any lessons that you learned, because we spent, um, you know, Thanksgiving the entire week. Uh, we went to Marrakesh. And then we also went to Merzuga, which is in the Sahara Desert. Uh, we learned so much from, you know, the Tuareg people, the Berber people, um, different mm -hmm. tribes out there. Um, and, you know, we had incredible community of people who just welcomed us in. And, you know, it was everything was intentional. And it, I've also learned how, you know, we carry so much weight in the U.S. And, you know, um, once we got there, how Tanisha made sure that we went to the Hammam, which is an ancient, you know, bathing um, house where you scrub everything off and how integral bathing is, you know, 
to and releasing toxins is so that we can be better creators, so we can be better at whatever we do or just being present as a human? Mm-hmm. I, I have to say for me, um, when I think of our trip, the, the one word that comes up to me and for me is sacred. Mm. It was such mm-hmm. a sacred journey. I mean, um, the couple of things that I took away from it, because I, it was for sure um, a place that I'd wanted to go and it was on my bucket list. Um, yeah. It literally came up out of the ether, out of thin air, if you will, when I when I actually saw it. Um, and it was how we connected to just to, to go. I said, to your point, like you said, I'm going with you, mama. And you said, great, and we're out, <laughs> right? Um, for me, the takeaway, the one thing was, it was just life shifting in, in my mm. perspective, right? Perspective is everything for me. Point of view is everything for me, especially as a creative, right? You need to know yourself. You need to be aware um, and understanding that, you know, you have your truth and then there's other truths and there can be multiple truths at one time. And the more Absolutely. the more understanding you have in that, it makes you just a better, well-rounded conscious individual, but being in spirit. And so when Mm -hmm. I came back from there, my perspective had been shifted just around peace, Mm. obedience, and growth. Yes. You know, and and that was, that was huge. I was actually highly activated, you know, by the time I returned from, from Morocco. And I was really able to see and experience the most ancient and origin stories of our journeys. And from and it helped me see myself from that very existence. Remember, my name is Maat, right? So Absolutely. I am an Please ancient. Please explain being. to everyone what Maat means. Right, Maat is truth, justice, and righteousness. Um, it's also mathematics. Uh, she is an African or an ancient Egyptian goddess, and um, also represented by the scales of justice. Right, mm-hmm. so. There are 42 admonitions of Ma'at, of which the Ten Commandments are drawn from. So the Bible's Ten Commandments are drawn from the 42 admonitions of Ma'at, which also does the same thing, which is weighing your heart or your life, right, against your sins, against a feather, right? Mm -hmm. And so Ma'at was understood to be your um, access into heaven. Mm. If you could put your life or your sins on one side of the scale because that's mm-hmm. her symbol the scales and put a feather on the other and if your heart was as light as the feather then you would be accessed into uh, the pearly gates so and i think we did see in a way you know i think we saw a piece of heaven um in the mm-hmm. desert and just i uh, remembering we i think we counted like 35 shooting stars mm-hmm. Um, I remember we saw Mars, Jupiter, I mean, just so many planets. We saw Orion's belt. And if you've never been to Morocco and, you know, you get a chance to go to the Sahara Desert, it is the most mind-blowing experience you ever have and the best sleep you'll ever have if you spend the night Mm -hmm. out there. Um, Mm -hmm. And it... And I just remember some, you know, just even some people who came with us, you know, they, you know, came with a lot of fear of the unknown, right? Um, Because we know, you know, resorts, we know, you know, going to the typical places that most Americans go to. And sadly, you know, we have a very small percentage of Americans that have passports, right? And so, you know, for us, 
for me particularly and you know working with Tanisha to curate this trip which I do every Thanksgiving now um this was about gratitude and um you know like you said being in sacred space with each other and you know just healing I mean it's it I felt so light after and that's my second time going and after leaving and just you know the 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 shukran, the uh, inshallah, the the whole meaning of inshallah that Moroccans say, you know, and leaving it to God. I mean, it just letting it go and letting God that that meant a lot, you know. I'm breaking yeah. the bread together, you know. Yeah, I I think that was one thing that um, I was when I returned, I was really wide open, you know, and able to express myself and experience myself because I think we do a lot of code shifting here, right? A lot of shape shifting. Um, you know, in our everyday lives, just to exist, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Especially as people of color. And um, I noticed that when I was there in Morocco, this, the, the reverence that they have for peace and being in, a, in an Islamic prayer-driven country, an environment mm -hmm. where thank you and you're welcome is the foundation of communication, mm -hmm. you know, and establishing that point of respect Yes. Every day from each and every person. Can you imagine if every day we always told everyone, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. And yeah. inshallah, right? Mm -hmm. That type of being just, just, just resets, your, resets you as a person, right? And so being in that environment, I think it was just a space that was gentle, you know, yeah. and calm. And I learned that, you know, that, that natural way of being. Uh, for me, it, it, it helped me realize, oh, that I have a gift of intimacy, right? Mm. I have a, a gift of peace. And that was something that Morocco returned to me as it brought it out to me. And I was able to really slow down enough to see myself, um, yeah. to, to see where we come from, to see people who honor their, their, their space. You know what I mean? I think the same way we're talking about the shooting stars. The one other thing that stands out for me is when we went out on the desert onto the dunes. And mm. we were sitting there and we celebrated, but then everyone took their time, right, to have their mm. moment. And I think you were sitting and we were just soon to wrap out and, and you looked up and you said, my eye, do you see that? And we looked <laughs> across and it was literally 17, 18, 19 um, camels and a camel mm. herder going across in the distance, so quiet, like, mm. so, like we were like, literally transported back in time oh it was beautiful it yeah. was so beautiful yeah it was so beautiful I yeah. carry that you know and so you know so we have a, a friend who also was on the trip and you know she had some surgery recently and um you know I asked her just checked up on her at you know when she was in the hospital and they the nurse told her, you know, you, you have to make sure that, you know, you go in this stress-free, you know, not to have too much anxiety. And she said, you know what? I have zero stress. I went to the Sahara Desert during Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm at peace, you know? Mm. And and that just made me so happy. And it was, you know, what the, what the reason, the reason why we curated this trip and why I'm so proud of Tanisha and all the work that she's doing, you know, with Mwasi Global 
uh, community and and just, you know, why I said, you know what, every year I'm going to give thanks because that's to me, that is my version of Thanksgiving, you know, to give thanks to God, to the universe and, you know, to community and to break bread. And, you know, the coolest thing that they wanted, the, the coolest things that we did on the trip was when we had that cooking demo. That was so much fun. <laughs> and we cooked together in one of the oldest restaurants in Marrakesh and, you know, just when you cook with people from another culture, I think you learn a lot about people. And it was just a women-led kitchen, and it was just so powerful to learn from them. And the communication and, and just how how much alike we are, you yeah. know what I mean? And how, my, how, how much language isn't needed, right? Words yeah. and feeling and intuition and just a smile. Um, mm. and, and, the, and the love just kind of resonates as being in that kitchen and just looking at those, the women's faces and you can, you can speak with your eyes. And that's what Morocco also brought out for me. There's so much conversation yeah. that can be had in silence, just looking mm. at someone. It was so beautiful. That's, that's one yeah. thing I really, I really noticed and took away with that. And then just taking that drive across, being able mm-hmm. to take that drive, that, that long distance drive to to the desert and really sit and contemplate because contemplation is, is a huge part of reflection and, and, and elevation and your conscious fear and your meditation and those different spaces too, which we don't, we won't go there, but uh, it it gave the room for that, the room Mm -hmm. for that space to, 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 to heal in that way too and grow. You know, I, you know, I'm a huge um, believer in, meditation and healing and, you know, even the breath. I mean, the breath is so powerful, you know, and really also, you know, breaking bread with people who you don't know. You know, I I feel like we could prevent a lot of wars, you know, and a lot of drama and other things if we actually sit down and cooked with people and, you know, broke, break bread with people. You can learn a lot about each other, you know? Yes, um, I agree. And I think that's where if we look at history, we'll prove that out too, right? The the Last Supper, mm-hmm. um, many deals are done over the table and over breaking bread. And um, we've seen art display that same that same way of life. So I, I am 100% in agreement. And I think our dinner, our, our Thanksgiving dinner was so beautiful. Um, even mm. the people that we were able to invite, the fact that we even brought you know, Ali and his family and just, just being um, in community um, that Mm -hmm. day was so gorgeous being in themed colors, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. there's a communal, you know, cooking. Uh, We mix those cuisines again, right? Tanisha cooked and she made greens and she made macaroni and cheese. And then we also had Mm -hmm. those Southern tones and then we had the Moroccan tones that were mixed there. It was really just, Mm -hmm. it was beautiful really beautiful i'm so honest one of the best trips ever it still sits with me i write about it i've journaled about it Mm -hmm. i I reflect back into it and i do remember returning home um seeing seeing another side of myself i said oh you are 24 karat gold baby hey that's what i'm talking about never Never. forget that never forget that Mm-mm-mm. Well, on that note, we are going to, I want to thank you so much, Ma'at. You are such a light in this world. I cannot wait to see all of the amazing things that you're going to do because I, I also have a feeling that not only are you going to, you know, merge the science, the the art, um, food, you know, production, but I also think you're also going to merge healing. 
you know, you're such a light. And I mean, I I can't wait for you to story tell, you know, also about healing. Inshallah. Speak over me, though. (laughs) You know I I have to. I have to. (laughs) Speak over me. You're right there. You are right there. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So I want to thank you for joining us on Culture and Flavor. This is your host, Zella Palmer. Culture and Flavor is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.